Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Transmission incoming. Welcome well, to the Picture Show. Let's do it. The Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. This episode is 0078, titled, quote, I saw a film today. Oh boy. It's been a while since we've had the podcast. So, without further dilly-dallying, Let's head up to the VIP booth at the top of the cantina and get today's show started. So welcome back. It's 2016. It's been a while. It's been over a month. But I'm back. I'm your host, Kevin McRae, founder of the Sierra Nevada Movie Club and your resident Philistine. It's been some time. The, uh, the announcer at the top of the show forgot to remind you that this podcast may contain mature language, so keep that in mind if you're new to the show. If you're new to the show, also keep this in mind. Uh, that's, that's fine to hit this baby. That it's always fine to hit a baby, especially in a movie theater, but if you hear that sound, drink along with me at home. I am drinking some red wine and Coca-Cola. It's the drink of champions. So anyway, it's been a while. Sorry about that. Uh, we had a season break a little bit. We had the holidays. We had weather. We had family. We had sickness. We had jobs. I, I, I was working one job. My schedule changed. I didn't like my job. I didn't feel like doing anything. Everyone was getting busy. I just started a new job actually here on Monday of this week and uh, trying to get back in the routine and you know, you know how things go. Was able to take some trips. Went uh, Chicago, New York, Dallas a couple times, Los Angeles. Um, you know, one thing that was cool when I went to Texas, I'd never been able to go to an Alamo Draft House. I've actually never been to any kind of uh, dining movie experience, that type of thing before, without sneaking in, you know, my um, my, my hamburger and my and my rum. Uh, but I'm talking about like a, an official uh, dining movie experience. And the Alamo Draft House was the shit. And the reason why is the rules. So if a theater is going to say the rules, they got to believe the rules, and then the audience will be trained on the rules. So every time you go to a movie, for example, it's here in Reno, we, we, even, we even have a pretty nice theater called the, uh, the, the, the IMAX Luxury Galaxy. 
something like that. But if you tell the audience not to talk and not to text, I mean, and you don't enforce it, then people don't give a shit, especially in, um, you know, we don't have the most elegant class of people exactly here in northern Nevada or northern California where I'm from. I'm not saying I'm any different, I'm not being elitist, just kind of saying that we are a rough and tumble bunch. We're not a bunch of polished fancy boys. Uh, anyway, there at the Alamo Draft House, they, they do take the rules seriously. There's a couple things I like. Uh, one thing is, is they don't really do the commercials in, in the typical trailers. They have like a, a half hour bunch of weird skits and commercials and stuff that, that's themed together towards the movie. But it's also, um, you have these note cards because it's a, it's a dining place and you drink a lot there. And the wait staff is trained to stay out of your way. And, and they're trained to look for these, these notes so they can refill your drinks. I was uh, being fancy. Saw the movie Sisters with Heathen. And I was drinking red wine because that is the fancy thing to do when you're in Texas at the Alamo Draft House. Anywho, um, if someone's being too loud, you can write it on a note. They'll warn them. If they need to be warned again, they'll kick them out. And uh, also, children, their, their children rule. No no children uh, under six, like, I, I don't know if it's all day or after 7 p.m., something like that. So, I mean, they do have kids' movies and some crossover movies and things like that. But basically, on their website, they said, if you want to take your six-year-old kid to see Hangover 2 on a Friday night, it's not going to happen. And that's awesome. You know, I went and saw The Revenant here recently in Reno at the Good Theater. Two goddamn babies in the audience. Separate babies, separate sides of the theater. Not terrible, but pretty fussy. And just don't bring your goddamn babies to the movie theater. They can't appreciate the movie. They do not know the pain that Leonardo DiCaprio is going through for this Oscar. They do not know the, 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 the torture and the epic battle and... Also, you know, no one else in the theater fucking wants to hear it. This is a nicer theater, even a shitty theater. Fuck, if it's a $5 theater, I don't need to hear your baby crying over anything. God damn it, leave him in the trunk like a sensible parent. Anyway, other things, you know, it's kind of late on a lot of things. It's, it's, it's been a while. I've been out of the game, but uh, um, a, lot, a lot of sad passings have happened. But one, I want to point out that... I think mattered, I mean, they, they all matter, but one that mattered a little bit more personally to me a little bit was was David Bowie. I was surprised. Um, I'm usually really it, on it on the news for whatever reason, and that one I, I, I got an hour or two later, and, and I, was, I was surprised I hadn't heard it. I was, I was getting ready for bed, and I was just like, oh, shit. I'm not like a David Bowie super fan. I'm not really a super fan of, any, of anybody or anything, but I, I was a pretty big fan. And a fan of the music, fan of the older music, fan of some of the newer music. Um, of course, you know, who growing up during the, you know, 80s, 90s couldn't love him as the Goblin King and Labyrinth. And what a, um, what a solid movie that was at the time for, for a lot of us that were uh, pre-teenagers. And, um, you know, just kind of sucked. Not extremely movie related. Of course, he was in some other movies, but I just want to throw that out there. As we're catching up on things. Uh, anyway, later on, we will be in feature presentation. I'll be taking on the boy. Actually, hopefully, we'll get Portland Mike here on the Skypey line. And he and I can tag team the boy. 
That sounds fantastic. Let's head into the news. Newsman will come on. He'll go. He'll go. Good evening, everybody. This is the newsman. Whatever he says, he's not going to say. <laughs> and he goes. Our top story tonight. Top story tonight is Joseph Fiennes is going to play Michael Jackson in a TV movie. That's right. You heard it. The elegant British actor uh, Joseph Fiennes will be playing Michael Jackson in the film titled Elizabeth, Michael, and Monroe. I'm sorry, Elizabeth, Michael, and Marlon. So this movie, uh, it's going to air as a half-hour special on Sky Arts. I have no idea what the fuck Sky Arts is. But apparently it's based on a Vanity Fair article that claims that Elizabeth Taylor, Michael Jackson, and Marlon Brando took a road trip out of New York after flights were canceled due to the 9-11 attacks. And uh, reportedly they got as far as Ohio. I mean, who knows? Uh, Some people are already cringing at the idea of this casting i mean it is already sort of questionable to me but we'll have to see how it goes it's seems odd <laughs> to say the least but as the article pointed out that it comes at a sensitive time as the oscars are getting boycotted for lack of racial diversity which i hope to talk about a little bit next week i'd like to dive into more of the awards race currently as we're heading into oscar uh, season as far as the show, we've already we're already we're award, we're already award season is, is is past full swing. We've had the Golden Globes and such and such. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll save some of my comments about that. And you know you want to hear what Heathen has to say about racism. So that is our first news story. Second news story. So we've got a lot of gimmicks going on out there in the theaters now. You know we've got 3D. We've got those uh, movement seats. We've got uh, the, the dinner theaters. Well, listen to this, kids. There is a new theater in uh, China which is upselling customers on their smog-free theater environment. So the South Korea cinema chain CGV has opened a 20-seat clean air theater called Sweetbox. Um, at its multiplex at Beijing's Indigo Mall. CGV says it's the first such theater in the Chinese capital equipped with air purification technology. Last month, the chain opened another clean air theater in Tianjin, which isn't really that far from Beijing. It's towards the coast. And um, the tickets cost about 20 bucks a pop, which is about four to five times more than other ticket prices in China. And they're sold in pairs because seating is on 10 love seats arranged stadium style. Tickets are available one day in advance. So here's something that's kind of interesting. I mean, what a fucking gimmick. You know what it reminds me of is like space balls or something like that. Like you're going to a fucking theater so you can breathe. That's the selling point. But anyway, I mean, I could tell you the pop, the pollution. I lived in China for five years. Pollution, as you know, ain't good, as they say. Uh, where I lived the first couple years, when you would blow your nose, the, the Kleenex would come out black. When, when I, I came back to visit the States once on a trip, I flew into Los Angeles, land of broken angels and smog, and it felt like God 
purified clean air. I just was sucking in the the smog because it just was so much better than China. Um, anyway, what do we have here? Uh, CGV promises that inside the sweet box, the level of fine particles, uh, this particle matter, it's called PM 2.5. It's super small particles, one thirtieth the width of a human hair, and they can lodge deeply in the lungs and seriously affect health will be maintained below 20 milligrams per cubic meter. In America, this would fall in the moderate range based on our EPA standards, but it's considered excellent under the Chinese government's less stringent scale. Outdoor concentrations of PM 2.5 in Beijing are frequently over 100, sometimes soaring as over 500 or, quote, beyond index. Um, outside the sweet box is a digital display showing the level of PM 2.5 inside. On a recent day when the theater was apparently not in use, the readout showed a level of 41, which under American standards would be considered unhealthy for sensitive people. Interesting. Selling clean air at the theater. Love seat style. Stadium seating in the mall. Little 20, 20, 20 seat theater. Way to get close with your honey than saying, let's go out on an overpriced movie date and breathe. All right, so last story here, and then I'm going to check the uh, 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 Portland Mike sent me a message, and uh, he's probably it's close to 7 p.m. when I said we'd be starting with him. So let's see. Uh, my last story, sources close to the Gareth Edwards-directed Rogue One, uh, which is the first Star Wars spinoff, so we're doing, you know, the the the... Next three in the in the trilogy, seven, eight, nine, and then in between those we're having the spinoff. So the first spinoff called Rogue One. Uh, Gareth Edwards, the director, he told folks that um, that the reports of Darth Vader being in the first standalone spinoff are in fact not only true, but you might see a lot more of him than we might have originally expected. Um, he didn't get into specifics of what this actually is going to mean, but this makes sense, seeing as Rogue One, the, the time in history it happens, it happens sometime between episode three and four, going down in the years after Revenge of the Sith and just before A New Hope. So the plot, as, as, as I've heard, is kind of a, a caper story, sort of, of, of the, of the, um, of, of, of the stolen Death Star plans, you know, the one that Princess Leia ends up giving to R2-D2 in the first movie, kind of spurring the thing along. Well, apparently the Rebels, uh, this is about a, a, re a rebel heist, a rebel heist film. And, of course, it makes sense that Darth Vader would be an important part in this movie. Well, that is the news. Let's head into a Cocktail Corner. I see. America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting stinking on something I stir or shake. So today in Cocktail Corner, I'm going to introduce a cocktail I'm calling Friday I'm Intoxicated. And it's kind of a spring ish cocktail thinking a early day of spring and for some reason i don't know why it is i know the cure is supposed to be sort of this morose moody 
pre-goth uh, music, but their music really reminds me of springtime when you listen to... Um, uh, <laughs> many, many of the songs... Uh, it reminds me. I couldn't think of. I could think of some some uh, some Cure songs, but I, I uh, anyway, um, I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> this gin. That's uh, so. The, the main the main uh, meat of this cocktail is gin, and this is an interesting gin. This is a Spanish gin. I know Spain is not known for their gins, but it's an interesting color. It's kind of the color of a rosé, and it is. Here it says it's produced with 100% grain, neutral spirit, pure water, a hint of sugar, and infused with a selection of 11 botanicals that give it a special um, touch. Juniper, berries, jasmine, lemon, balm, violet, rose petals, orange blossom, lavender, mallow, <laughs> uh, pansies, uh, Veronica and hibiscus. Anyway, when, when I saw the thing about sugar, I was kind of hesitant, but this cocktail, sort of my idea is a kind of a riff off of a lemon drop. So instead of um, making it super sweet, I'm hoping just go a little sweet and have some citrus battle some gin and the botanicals. So this is uh, basically, this is going to be a citrus martini. You're going to take your mixer you're gonna put in about, um, your shaker, I'm sorry, you're gonna put in about four ounces or so of gin. Then you're gonna take a uh, about a quarter-ish of a good-sized juicy lemon, squeeze some fresh juice, fresh squeezed lemon juice in there, get it nice and juicy in there. Then you're just going to put a splash of control. Usually I say, you know, you can just go with the triple sec. It's it's all basically the same, like a orange-flavored liqueur. But go, go with the control on this one and just a splash. And I'm not really going to shake this super hard, as you've heard on the podcast before. You don't want to... What I've heard is... The shaking, the agitation of the ice, reason for the shaking is to chill chill it, and you don't want to over-chill gin because of, you don't want to kill the aroma. That is the big, one of the big things of gin is the, the nose, so I'm going to give this a shaky shake, and actually, I'm going to give a taste of this gin alone, and actually, maybe it's not rosé colored, maybe it's just clear. Just the, the bottle was rosy colored. Let me give it a little sip out of, just out of the bottle, this gin. Not bad. I mean, if you're not a gin drinker, you're still not going to like it because the first note you hit is the juniper. Second thing you get is the sweetness. Third you get is the, um, what do you get right behind that sweetness? Uh, some orange, it tastes like. And then and then it feels like you get some of the 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 lavender or the rose you start getting in the the, the the velvety kind of flower finish so and then you just strain this into your glass and let's give it a try let's have some of this friday i'm intoxicated it's good it's good and even if you don't like gin 
the the lemon I may have gone a little bit heavy on the lemon it's important that, that you get enough of the citrus and that you get a right balance between acid and and the botanicals you don't want the the, the citrus to, to, to kill this isn't the strongest of gins but most gins are pretty upfront with the juniper so you don't want you don't want to go too strong on the lemon but this is pretty good this is a good this would be a, a, a good port sip and drink and um you know what i like to drink to today one of the themes as i've been talking about is just being behind on a lot of things it's it's been over 30 days since the last podcast but and i'm often behind on things thing i want to drink to is two shows that i am um I'm going to say three shows that currently that I'm somewhat balls deep in. First is Fargo season two. After the first season of Fargo, which I was late to the party on, I thought not a perfect show, but I really liked it. Great performances. Billy Bob Thornton can't see season two being that good. Prequels. I'm not a big fan of people kept telling me season two is even better than season one. So I'm about halfway into that. It's a good show. It's a good show. Good cast. I like seeing the dude from Bird Notice in there, and um, and uh, you know, so some some other peeps. And the next show that I'm finally able to finally participate in after hearing nothing but accolades in its direction is Mr. Robot. I do not have the USA no- Network, so I have uh, I have finally been able to just watch a couple episodes of Mr. Robot. Very interesting lead character. Haven't really seen a lead character like this on TV too much. Um, I mean, you do you do have sort of the anti-heroes, flawed characters, the the the, weir- the kind of weird, like Dexter and what like Monk, but I haven't really seen anything like this. I like it; it's interesting. And debuting this past Sunday and Monday, the return of the X Files, another show much like David Bowie, something near and dear to my growing up experience, uh, a, a part of me growing up in my teen years. Watched it on Fridays. When I visited my dad, it was something that was colder on Fridays. When it moved to Sunday, I think it really hit its 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 stride. And uh, like a lot of shows that run for a few seasons, it, it hit its peak maybe around season four ish, and then around six ish, definitely after the first movie, definitely started going downhill. I've tried rewatching the series about three times, never made it past um, season nine yet. Uh, with Doggett, what was that his name? Doggett, the 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 T2, or whatever. I don't know, but the the new the new episodes. It is what it is, you know. I feel some of it's treading familiar ground in a way. The same um, archetype characters we're used to from these guys, but I like it. I wish they would have paid a little bit more homage to the past. Um, maybe like Mulder's porn addiction. I realize he's probably outgrown at this point, but you know, maybe his, his sunflower seed eating, something like that. I, I'm glad the fans hated the, the movie when Mulder and Scola got together. So it's good. They're apart again, but the show isn't really, they're not hiding. They're not pretending it didn't happen. They're writing that into the storyline that they're no longer together. It makes it interesting, you know? It, it it would have been good if they never had gotten together, but we'll see. We'll see where this little six episode run takes us. They're only doing six episodes. That mini series they're calling it, or or an event. Um, David Coveney said he's too old to do a whole season, and you know they're busy guys. We'll see if this show's popular. Maybe they'll come back and 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 get the gang together. It's good to see Skinner and Cigarette Man and Smoking Man and everyone in there. Anyway, I'm drinking to three 
TV shows on my movie podcast. So we're about that time, going to head into feature presentation and see if I can get a hold of Portland Mike on the Skypey line. He said the bus is slow and he's behind schedule, but you know what? I'm behind schedule too, so it works out perfect. Let's head into feature presentation, see if we can sketch him, sketch him. Let's see if we can sketch him on the interwebs. Okay, so here we are in feature presentation. We had some technical difficulties. We could not get the Skypey line to work, and also we could not really get the phone line to work. It's always been one of my weaknesses here on the picture show. But we do have, you know him as Portland Mike, Mike number one, the original Mike. He is here on speakerphone. The uh, granddaddy of inventions. It's it's one step better than the can and uh, two cans and a wire. That's your cue. Oh shit! That's my cue. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> well, that's quite a cue. Well, uh, hey Kevin, how are you? I'm good. I'm drinking a cocktail, and I'm drinking another cocktail. Good. Well, you got two hands. You got to keep them both busy. Well, one hand. I've got a little tequila going myself, and uh, I've had a few beforehand, so I'm properly prepped, so uh, let's get into this. Well, I'm glad you're here to help me tag team the boy, because one man on, a, on the boy isn't enough. And uh, it's been a while. We've had you on a few episodes, but it's been a while since you're here. I'm going to read a little synopsis uh, here about the boy, if people aren't familiar with the film. Here is the general idea. An American nanny is shocked that her new English family's boy is actually a life-size doll. After violating a list of strict rules, disturbing events make her believe that the doll is really alive. That sounds strikingly like the plot of uh, just like any Japanese porn. Um, I have a couple notes here. Let's see. I don't have a whole lot. I took some of my own notes. and um, This film went through a couple title changes. Uh, it was first called, um, I think it was called In in the Darkness. No, In a Dark Place. It was first called In a Dark Place. Then it was called The Inhabitant. And I guess around the time that they they started cutting some scenes so that they could get a PG PG-13 rating, they decided to change the name to The Boy. I, I tried to look up what the scenes were that they cut. I'm guessing just some more sexiness and... Maybe some more violence. Although I don't really know why that would change the title of the movie. I think all three of those titles are pretty awful. Well, I, I would agree. I don't think any of them sell the story. I, I don't think the boy sells what the story is if you don't see the uh, trailer. Yeah. Said, the, the trailer does sell you. It, it feels creepy in a way that the movie can never quite fulfill. I, I, I was thinking they could have just called it Brahms, that, but then maybe if you hadn't seen the trailer, you wouldn't know what that meant either. 
Um, they'd be like, yeah, oh. Then, then you'd assume you could do it as a uh, double feature with Amadeus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is some other... Let's see if I wrote any other notes in here. Um... Yeah, too much nut there. So let me look at the things I wrote. One of the things I wrote. Okay, so by the way, my my uh, my disclaimer. Uh, originally, when I started doing feature presentation, I said that we weren't going to do walkthroughs, we weren't going to do spoilers, and we weren't going to do reviews. I, I'm still going to try to avoid walkthroughs, but I don't really mind the spoilers for most movies anymore. We're definitely going to spoil this movie if you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it and plan on seeing it, then um, then I guess don't listen <laughs> any further. Well, well I, I would say if you haven't seen it and you plan to see it, just don't see it. Well, I, I don't know. Some people liked it. I, you know, you you, uh, you underestimate or overestimate the film-going audience, I think. Um, That's true. Uh, I use myself as a baseline, and, and, and that's not really a wise thing to do, especially when you're talking about alcohol. Well, when they start but, um, when they start making horror movies, uh, trying to get PG-13 and PG ratings, that's when you're starting to go wrong. I'm not saying that you need to be graphic and sexy to be scary, but when it, it does mean that it seems like you're starting to try to cater for a certain audience, and I think any movie sure. that tries to cater for an audience, no matter what genre, you're, you're you're failing because you're not just making a movie for the movie's sake. You're mo- making a movie to please people, and those almost never work. Uh, well, you know, uh, I, I hate to take this uh, conversation in an entirely different direction, but based on what you just said, I, I feel like there's a, a, an elephant in the room, um, um, bigger than Donald Trump's ego or a star killer base. Wouldn't you say Star Wars is really a movie catering for to fan service? Um, in some ways, and um, some of the things I didn't like about it weren't necessarily those, actually. There was a couple little... I, I really liked the new Star Wars movie, but there was a couple things that took me out a little bit, but they actually weren't the nostalgia things. They were There was a couple cheesy jokes, and there was a couple um, just serendipitous moments, like how everyone just happens to meet on the battlefield after all this time, after all of these galaxies and planets and everything, that going into battle and thousands of other probably rebels there, they just happened to all run into each other. But Yeah, and I would entirely agree with that. I don't really think, uh, other than maybe um, uh, uh, Carrie Fisher, I don't think any of this nostalgic stuff was a problem for me. I, 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 I've seen it twice now. And both uh, times, the, the nostalgia points have brought me to tears in, in the most joyful kind of way. I mean, just even the uh, crawl at the beginning with, with the uh, uh, words, you know, the title sequence. But, well, I, don't, know, I, I don't see it as, what do they call it, uh, catering to the audience or whatever. I mean, J.J. Abrams did say that he was trying to bring it back to the roots that made it good. And, you know, that's... Style, tonality. There's a lot of things that 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 are that are different, and, and and a lot of movies and shows do that. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily catering. You're just trying to be in the same universe again. Right, and, and you know, along that line, I, I was listening to another podcast. I, I think it was Douglas Movies, and Dana Gould was on there, and he made a really interesting point where he, he actually broke it down act to act. You can make a parallel to each of the original films. You know, Act One, Star Wars; Act Two, Empire; Act Three, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and, and see it in that in that way, it is exciting, especially knowing that this is all leading up to. Uh, 
know, the, the, the next Star Wars movie with, um, oh, shoot, what's his name? Uh, Rain, uh, Rain Johnson? Is yeah. Is that Rain. Uh, Rise. Uh, I, I know I'm not saying it right. But yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for that. Uh, Looper and, and, uh, uh, and Brick are two of my favorite movies the last. Anyway, back to the boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just a couple notes I wrote in here. They're not necessarily in any order, and some of them may not require too much commentary. First thing I wrote down was too many dream sequences. I'm not a big fan of dream sequences anyway. Sometimes they're kind of cool, but, you know, it's kind of a one-trick thing. You don't. This one had at least two or three. You, you're okay with doing one. You don't need more than one dream sequence. It's, it's like... Uh, it's giving audience blue. It's 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 it's. I feel it's tricking the audience. You know, if you do it more than once. Yeah, and, and then it's a shortcut kind of uh, uh, manner of, of, of uh, screenplay writing. I, I I feel like it's the equivalent of a montage in film. You, you can't do more than one montage in a film. You shouldn't do more than one thing. Yeah. So that was weird. Uh, let's see. Next thing I wrote was. Okay, part of it, I mean, they did explain it later, but what I was thinking for towards the middle part of the movie, there was, I think it was in, I don't know if it was Raw or Delirious, I think it's in Delirious, and Eddie Murphy's talking about Amityville Horror, and the house says, get out, and he's like, I'd, I'd get the fuck out. So I was just thinking, why did, I mean, they sort of explain later, but in the beginning, I was like, why is she staying? I mean... When she figures out creepy things are going on, why not get out? Then she starts talking about having lost a, a child of her own and, and this and that. But I don't know. I, I kind of, for that period of time, didn't really buy that she was just going to hang out in this house just to get away from her abusive boyfriend, Cole, and um, get paid to, to watch a doll. I don't know. I, I'd be the fuck out of there as soon as I got locked in the attic, I think. Yeah, but on the other hand, there is a moment where apparently at least at this point in the story of the doll, brings her a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and leaves it outside of her, her door. Yeah, but and I'm it, talking it about... left a really good IPA. I might hang out a little longer. <laughs> but but I, I'm talking like maybe a little bit before that because um, just because around that time she's like, okay, am I crazy or am I not? Even before that, she's... That's kind of... I was actually sort of okay with the movie up to this point, especially sort of during this time because I was thinking... If this happened to me, and I would have left, but if I hadn't, um, I mean, then this is you know where you try to insert reality, and a lot of these movies are obviously not reality. You 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 must have to start to question your sanity a little, a little bit. Well, um, of course, uh, and, and occasionally I'll question my insanity or or, or my sanity, rather, <laughs> or you know, what I've been thinking that particular day. But at a certain point, when you're now attuned to the weird things that are going on and they continue to go on, you have to pass up the the idea that it's like you're you're just playing tricks on yourself. And uh, it, certainly, there there was a point where she knew something shitty was going on in the house. And I, I, I would think, just, just as a person, you would be concerned in a property you're not familiar with, in an area you're not familiar with that something nefarious is happening. And um, I, I would think that would be even more concerning as a woman because there, there's so many more, you know, like, uh, sexual assault kind of things that could yeah. go into that. And that's certainly something she, she was trying to avoid abuse, 
and suddenly she's somewhere where weird things are happening, you, you think you would, you would continue to move on and try to find somewhere safe. Yeah, yeah. At first, I thought they might go some kind of fight club way where it was her, but I knew they wouldn't do that because I wouldn't pay off. And then I thought when you hear the billiard balls going on later that maybe it was a different spirit or maybe it was just like some local townies coming to rape her, which sort of were. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, didn't, yeah, they traveled quite a ways to get there. Yeah, that was pretty cheesy. Uh, so... I guess I'll go. I don't know. Let me. Uh, so let me just go to that part. So so she she goes to England to babysit this uh, British family's son, who turns out to be like a uh, a life size porcelain doll, life size for a small boy. And I kind of think it's in. Right? Y- yeah, and I I always think it's kind of interesting when some of these. Um, British actors get stuck playing Americans and they never get to play their, their real accent. Uh, who, uh, what's her name? Lauren Cohen, who I, I never saw supernatural. I don't remember her from, uh, she, she's been in a couple movies I saw like a while ago, but I don't remember her in them. I just know her from the walking dead where she's got kind of the Southern drawl, but she's got an interesting accent because she was born. She grew up until she was like six in Philadelphia or something. And then she moved to England and her dad's Scottish, and her mom's American, but her her accent is British. If you've almost everyone on The Walking Dead has a British accent, which is kind of funny. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I had no idea. But so she she goes to escape her her boyfriend, and uh, Mike told me he was laughing throughout the movie. I was actually kind of taking it mostly seriously for the most part until about the the last twenty minutes when her boyfriend shows up who was one of the worst actors I've seen in a while, and I was wishing that the whole movie had been like that because the rest of the movie was, like, on the verge of being bad. For me, it wasn't quite bad enough. Like, I definitely could see someone riff-tracksing it, but it wasn't overtly bad. It just wasn't interesting, really. Uh, but when he showed up, I, it was the dialogue and the way he was acting, and I just, I was just, I couldn't stop just snickering to myself about some of the dialogue. And um, yeah, he he was he was really bad, Cole. And well, the, the dialogue was really the issue for me from the beginning through, throughout, uh, and, and that it seemed very stilted. The, the parents who look like they're both on the verge of eighty, <laughs> um, yeah, their conversations were always every word they said was so cryptic. Yeah. And and Lauren's character, and what was her name, Greta. Yeah. Uh, Play with Greta me, Greta. Just not accepting this at all. That uh, it, it, right out the gate, you can't take it very seriously. So I, I really learned from that mystery science rip track kind of state of mind, and just keeping my mouth shut because I didn't want to bother all my friends who seemed to generally enjoy it. Tell them uh, about when Cole showed up, and that's when you know they, they got right on board with me. Yeah. And, and I, so going to the parents, um, again, this is all spoilery, and if people haven't seen the movie, they, they probably won't know really know what we're talking about. So do you, here, here's a part, not that this movie was that intellectual, but it did, it, I think it left a couple things um, somewhat ambiguous. How do you think? I, I think they leave everything ambiguous, but, but please go ahead. Well, do you think, do you think, both parents knew what was going on. Do you think any of them knew completely what was going on? Uh, 
Um, and why was it that they had to kill themselves? Okay. Um, well, well let, let's uh, rewind a little bit and, and do a little walk-up to, to that situation. So uh, we, we get a lot of exposition from the love interest for, uh, for Lauren Cohen's character, who, who apparently is a grocery delivery boy who comes around and is very flirty. Yeah, and apparently uh, he's very he, hot, according to the message boards. Oh, well, Lauren seemed to, to, to be appreciated. So, very lovely for no. Um So she, uh, uh, she she gets there, she starts interacting with this guy who drops off groceries, but apparently there was a list of rules that she could not break that were left for her, including no communication outside, no visitors, things of that nature. And, of course, she's breaking all those rules. She's constantly calling her sister who is giving us all this foreshadowing of Cole coming. Yeah, she's like the... I was just going to say, yeah, she's like the narrator or like the the exposition of of the backstory. Yeah, she's like the Ellen Page of Inception. (laughs) Yeah. She she exists only to tell us what's going to happen later in the story. Uh, Yeah. Well, that's coming, and, and the, the parents, um, they interact with her. They're telling her that the uh, doll, if she loves the doll, the doll will love her back, and it's rejected previous uh, babysitters or whatever you would call them. Nannies. Nannies in the past. And then when they, they leave, uh, under the uh, pretense that they're going on a vacation, but instead they walk to a lake or a river or oceanside and put a couple of pebbles in their pockets and just walk into the water. I think it was a lock. Oh, oh it's a lock. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, well, see, that's funny because the rocks they put in their pockets when they're doing that, at first I thought they were putting uh, rolls in there. So maybe <laughs> it was just an appetizer for uh, nuts. No, five rocks to sink in the lock, as, as the saying goes. Oh, oh, well, I'll have to count it if I see it again, which I want. I think they had one, um, but they were old. Yeah, they were old. I, I don't think they could have walked back out a lot whether there was rocks in there or not. But they leave a That was a very good Dr. Seuss right there. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to, to, to re-listen. I, I have no idea what I said. I, I never have any idea what I say unless I write it down, and I never write anything down. I didn't even take any notes on this movie. I'm free-balling this. I, I didn't know we were doing this until you uh, hit me up. Yeah, right. yeah, um, yeah so uh, they leave a letter basically explaining that she is being given to Brahms uh, uh, as, as a sacrifice. And so we've got that weird setup because we still don't have an understanding of what Brahms is. But why do you think they did it, though? Does it? I mean, why, why did... Oh, right, right. Well, so with this, and again, there's no real answer for that, but uh, we did uh, fail to mention that with our exposition um, grocery clerk, he mentions that as a child, Brahms, when he was eight years old, went out in the woods with with a local girl who was like five or six or something, Mm -hmm. and she was found with her head crushed. Mm -hmm. And then Brahms disappeared, and then the house burnt down, and they all assumed Brahms or something to that effect. Yep. And uh, so the, the, it, we're supposed to make the supposition that the doll is the replacement to the dead Brahms from 20 years ago when he had passed. But that doesn't explain, when we do get the big reveal of what's going on with Brahms, 
why the Turks did what they did, why they were hiding the secrets that they're hiding, none of it really, there's no uh, explanation, there's no like logic within the film that explains why these pieces happen the way they happen. And, and at some point, I guess, we really need to break into what the big reveal is so we can really discuss what this issue is. Yeah, yeah, possibly. And that's why I'm trying, the, the, well, the reveal, we'll see. I, I don't. That, my question kind of was: is 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 do the parents know what the reveal is, and do both of them know? Um, oh yeah. You think they both know? Yeah, I mean that's why they're uh, suicide together, reading the letter together. They have the knowing looks. They have the conversations. There's no way you live in a house like that for 20 years with those giant chamber hall, uh, you know, between the walls. It's very much like uh, the people who live under the stairs. Yeah, and uh, Housebound is what I was thinking when I watched it, a recent, a pretty recent movie. Hey, which one? Housebound? Was it called Housebound, right? Well, I loved Housebound. I don't remember there being... God, it's, I was really drunk when I watched that. Housebound, the so, whole twist is that someone lives in the walls. Oh, shit. That is it, isn't it? Yeah, I just remembered how funny it was. In, in Housebound, incredibly Housebound, I liked if that's the name of the movie because, and this is exactly what this reminded me of under different circumstances. Housebound, there's a girl that goes on home arrest. House is supposedly haunted. Then they think it's a spirit. Then they find out it's just someone that's been living in the walls for like twenty years. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's now that you say it, I kind of remember that being the resolution. I mean, it's a great film, and it pretty much well, ends the same that. way. I mean, the whole ending of both movies are pretty much identical. But I mean, well, it even kicks back to to that film, um, Heart of Midnight, that came out in like eighty seven or eighty eight. One of uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh's really really badass films, and it has a, a similar concept. And, and I, I think this is one that I bet if we get back into the seventies and sixties, this is a well people keep going back to. Yeah, and, and people did one of the... Well, there's a couple of complaints I read about this movie. One was that it's a little bit too slow. Another thing I read was it's a little bit too much cliche of like two movies put together. But again, I mean, what are you going to do? I, I, I thought most of it was okay uh, for the most part. I, I liked that I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And then when it did happen, I realized they put out some clues like... When they're out, one of the rules is you have to check the traps every day or something like that. And when uh, uh, Greta's out helping Mr. Fel Felcherstein, whatever his name is, um, he says, I don't know if it's necessary, but the missus is afraid that the rats are going to get into the walls. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know, that's right. a very blatant clue that I missed at that point. <laughs> sure. No, no, I, I, I got you. I, but, but, I mean, more than that, it, it's... It's not just cliches. I mean, there, there are certain scenes that feel specifically lifted from other movies, which is always a problem with horror films. But when she takes the doll and, and draws a chalk mark around it to prove to the grocery clerk that it moves, they shut the door and then they open it, and not only has it moved, it's gone. Until they search the room and see it behind the door, mm -hmm. that that was so right. Sitting on the radiator, which I think is a terrible place for a doll to be. Right. Well, yeah, it's not the first time Brahms has burnt out. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you know, I, I kind of like that because it was a little different because instead of, like, being scared, they were 
Well, at least she was. She was like joyous and kind of like being weird and Rupert or whatever. The grocery clerk is like, this 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 ghost might not be the good kind. Like you maybe you shouldn't. You know, I kind of liked how I kind of liked the character angle of how Greta was like Rupert. I I don't really remember. I think his name was something like Rupert. Malcolm. Malcolm. Two entirely British names. (laughs) Malcolm was just like. Okay, you've gone kind of nuts, <laughs> and I, I thought that 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 was you know I I really thought that they should have explored that maybe a little bit further and earlier on instead of the fake dream sequences is the question well, of if she was sane or not her questioning herself then maybe everyone else because they they did do that in like a short bit of time I mean she she sure. dived into it and he came and to I vi- actually did like that when she suddenly was following the rules strictly and yeah and like ignoring the phone calls and stuff yeah i mean that that was nice i, I really would have liked to say I, I was hoping that's where the film was going i i, I wanted this to be a psychological film not a god i don't know how you refer to it but something like that it's a, a bit switch anything else i guess yeah um, well, so uh, what, what you were saying uh, uh, about that sequence where she was happy, even that reminded me of Poltergeist. If you remember when they would mark the middle line in the kitchen and put the daughter down and she would slide across on the floor and how excited the mom was about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Home. I mean, that was the thing. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Why <laughs> are we even here right now? But, but again, we, we still have not gotten to the reveal, and I think we need to do that. To well, I already, I already did. I mean, I, I, I alluded to it that um, we find out. Here's the, here's the big spoiler. So there's there's a doll that we all think is possessed or has a ghost in it or whatever. Cole comes, and uh, there's a big ruckus and after he gets rat blood poured on him. And... Uh, and he, he takes the doll, and uh, Malcolm and Greta are like, no, don't touch the doll. And Cole bashes the doll open, and suddenly the house comes awake. And so I think it's the like... Well, I was thinking at this point that it was like, okay, now you're fucked because that was like... I was thinking the doll was some sort of like uh, like genie bottle or something, and now you've unreleased the whole unholy spirit, and you're all you're all destroyed now. Um, but it turns out, and I actually caught on really quickly, and this is a part that made me laugh when Cole was listening to a mirror, I was like, don't listen to a mirror. Um, uh, and we find out that, uh, that, that Brom has been living in the walls with a bathtub and a TV and a bunch of stuff for 20 years or so. He comes. Oh, here's actually. I'm glad that we went to the spoiler because here's one thing I found unusual: that Brom, adult Brom, the real Brom, that busts out of the walls. He's really fucking strong. He's like he's like Jason Voorhees strong. He's he's ripping through walls. He's picking people up by the neck and strangling them against the wall. He's uh, kicking people in slow motion across rooms. This is a kid that's lived in an attic for 20 years without sunlight, without weights, without much food. Like really, but with plenty of neck beard coming out from underneath <laughs> the mask, it looks exactly like the doll. And his neck beard beard is like Samson's hair. As long as that shit is growing, he is getting stronger. Well, I, I'll, only thing I was thinking, and I don't know the PC correct way to say this is, and I, I I'm not going to be able to say because there's no PC correct way to say it is. 
I'm just guessing he was freakishly strong for whatever reason. The dad said he was odd. He didn't look very strong as a boy. He just looked like a little pussy. But, I mean, what five-year-old kid doesn't look like a pussy? Uh, but I was just... Well, I know where you're going. <laughs> but that was just something else that uh, struck me as unusual and kind of made me uh, snicker into my sleeve when... Uh, there's a part when Greta's doing something and he, he like kicks her in slow motion kung fu style and she goes flying across the room. That was like right. their big uh, string effect or whatever wire effect. Well, I think they, I think they only had a budget of like ten million for this. But what I was thinking when I was watching it though, as far as the story goes, I mean, of course, I couldn't get a house like that or or an actor. But this is one of those movies you really could have done for. I mean, on a low, low budget, you could, this could have been a movie you did for basically no budget, but it's also a movie you could have done for ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 and possibly made it better. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to it, really. Well, you, you made a reference to uh, uh, Housebound earlier, and, and I, I would imagine that film was made for 2 to $3 million. Yeah. Uh, uh, less, uh, you know, they didn't put so much in uh, towards art direction and set design, but they didn't need to. I mean, it, and they didn't have Lauren style. Cohen. Oh, yeah. Well. Who? Uh, how many other films has she done? Uh. Well, that was my next note, and she has... Oh God, I need to look... Okay, i got to look up the movie that she was in now. And I've seen it, and I don't remember her, but that happens. So, Lauren Cohen's credits. I'm going to... Oh, okay, she was in Van Wilder 2 was her big heyday before... Uh, <laughs> oh, well, shit, there's a chance she was accomplished. Yeah. Uh, Death Race 3... Destiny, I don't know that movie. Um, she has 26 credits. Oh, she was in Tim and Eric's Bedtime Stories. I don't know if you've ever watched that. No, no I was never really on that train. Uh, she was in an episode of Law and Order in uh, 2013. <laughs> Vampire Diaries, Children's Hospital, Chuck... Uh, she was in the show Supernatural. I think I mentioned that earlier. She was in Modern Family, which is a show I watched, and I didn't notice that she was in there. Well, at this point, based on, on that IMDb, I have to say that they probably saved money on her being a star. Well, and, and here's the thing that I that I kind of want to talk about, and I was, I was thinking about it almost the whole time I was watching it. So... When Lauren Cohen came on Walking Dead, and I and I listened to her on a couple interviews, I, I liked her on the show, and I liked her in interviews. I, I thought her accent was interesting because it was a it was it was British, but it was sort of a, a weird British because, like I said, she was born in America and she had a Scottish dad, so it was this kind of almost Australian accent. And she seemed like kind of a normal, average kind of rough and tumble type girl and that's always nice to see in an actress and i always thought that she would be very charming in some movie also i could see her as being some badass in some movie from walking dead and i just didn't see that this film really i don't know if it was her or the film but i just felt that almost anyone could have been in that role and i wouldn't have felt any different no matter who it was i just felt it was so generic her part I just didn't care. 
Um, yeah, and I, I, I would entirely agree. It was very, very flat. I mean, it's not like they gave her much to work with. Um, though I did like that small period where she seems to be having a little psychological breakdown with the doll. Yeah. But, I mean, it was directed by uh, William Bell, the guy that did uh, The Devil Inside. Which that's the only other movie he's done that I recognized. He's done about four other movies, and that's the only one that I know. Yeah, well, I think that's the only other one he's done. Has he done more than that? Uh, he has, but I don't. I, I have no idea what they are. I looked him up on IMDb, and I, I I don't know. He's done maybe. He's done a few others. He's a he's a writer director. He's a he's an auteur. Well, it, it, in the real world, I appreciate that. In the horror movie, that in the horror movie field, when I see written, directed, cinematographer all being the same person, it's like it, it, it makes it feel more of a vanity project than anything else. He did a, uh, uh, a, movie, a movie called Were, W-E-R. Um, he did a movie called Stay Alive. That's kind of a generic title. Well, that's basically it. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, and he has a TV show coming out that I tried to look up. I don't think it's it's on TV yet. And geez, Let me see if I can see what that's called. It's got a... Uh, no, it's not that. It's not Sparkle and Shine. Let me see. <laughs> Haunted. He has a TV show called Haunted, again, in a very generic title. Haunted says, Haunted is a chilling horror series about a military agent who is partnered with her ex-boyfriend, now a demonologist, to help a family <laughs> overcome a deadly demonic infestation of their home. I don't even know what channel this is on or... I don't know. Well, so, maybe, maybe it's a show for Speck, but he's still trying to. Well, that's what I was going to say when I was looking up Lauren, uh, what's her snatch's name? Uh, you know, I, I saw some, some TV shows. Torn Snatch? What's her name? Torn Snatch? Torn Snatch? Oh, yeah, Lauren Cohen. Lauren Cohen. Uh, sorry, been drinking. Um, I'm Nidget. I saw that she she had uh, done a show that, that that wasn't picked up that that sounded awful. I'd, I'd like to see her, her do well. What I was thinking the whole time I was watching this movie was I don't I think she's charming. I think she's badass. I don't think that she can carry a movie or a TV show on her own, no matter what. She just doesn't have that it factor, as they call it. Sure, and the funny thing is, I thought she really did on Walking Dead the second season, which is all I've watched. After the second season, after that whole talking dead bullshit on the fucking farm and how slow it was, mm-hmm. I had given up, and I, I've just never gone back in. There's too many films for me to watch yeah. that used back into a TV show. But she really like knocked my thoughts off when she hit the show, and I, uh, while watching the film, I was trying to put my theater on what was missing, and her hair's longer. I was like, really, is it just the bob haircut she has on Walking Dead that made her that well, it was kind of yeah. nice to see her. I was thinking, well, you know, it's kind of nice to see her dolled up because I didn't see Supernatural or anything else. I've only seen her on Walking Dead where everyone is supposed to look terrible. And so, you know, when she's smiling and has makeup and I was like, oh, she's got a kind of a nice smile. But, but again, I don't know. But Walking Dead is, you know, kind of an ensemble show. It's not really a true ensemble show, but she definitely, there's a lot of people to well, root for. difference, though. For, the, for Walking Dead to this is the Southern accent. 
And, and maybe that's what I was missing. Maybe her shifting her, her voice just a little bit was enough for, for me to, to, lose, to lose what seemed so exciting or electric about her at that time. And it could be that she would just be on screen for a few minutes here or there. It could be that I was just grasping for straws of things to enjoy as that uh, show just got slower and slower during that season. Yeah. So... I'm about to go into our ranking unless there's something else that you want to cover about the movie. I know there's a lot more to cover. I'm just, for time's sake, we probably got about 10 minutes-ish on the movie still if there's anything you want to bring up. Well, I don't think there's anything particularly of value that we didn't really touch into uh, other than the fact that when uh, Brahms emerges. He comes shattering through that mirror you, you were mentioning that Cole was listening to, which is like the oddest place you'd ever see against the wall. You know what's going to happen. Material between, yeah, yeah, I mean, we were all waiting for the glass to shatter. But when Brahms comes out wearing a mask that looks identical to, to the doll, my first thought was that this was a demonic entity. And then we quickly realized that, that it's somebody who's just been living there. But occasionally he speaks. And every time he speaks, it's in the lightest, biggest, fake little boy voice. Play with me, Greta. Greta. And it, that was like, I mean, we could hear the, the laughs murmuring through the entire theater in the next I don't know. I thought that part was kind of creepy, and I liked it. And I liked it when she's about to leave. He goes from the kid's voice. He starts getting into the adult voice. Which I wish he would have just kept in the kid's voice, because I, I don't know, maybe that would have been too cheesy when he's like, because when he's like, don't leave or I'll kill him, but he actually start like he starts growling at that point and gets his man voice on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, his voice has to match his beard at some point. But then the, 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 the big fix, the way she takes him down, or, or attempts to take him down, is to put him in bed like she did the doll, and he's never been tucked in the bed by her before. And she didn't put him in his pajamas, is what I was thinking, because one of the rules the mom said is you put him in pajamas. I was like, let's get some man dong out here. Let's see what that stank looks like. But Well, he's got a neck beard like that. He's got a neck beard like he's never seen. But again, another kind of Jason Voorhees moment, or just whatever, whatever supernatural killer you want to bring to the table, when she stabs him, like, well, it's like three times, but still... She stabs him a good number of times with a screwdriver, and it doesn't really slow him down that much. Well, he's excited to get screwed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been a while. Yeah. 20 years, apparently. Well, I don't know. Who knows what's happened to the previous... Uh, uh, I mean, I really think that if I lived in a wall and didn't really do too much, that I wouldn't be that strong. And yeah, I, you know, in real life, me, just a normal me who isn't probably, is, is a little bit under average, I probably could go on ticking with one screwdriver stab. But like three might take some wind out of me. <laughs> sure, and, and at least one of those is going into a lung. But yeah. That does, he did have, there's a nice fun trade-off that when she got to see his bedroom, he had a doll of her in his. Yeah, that was a nice doll. Uh, another bad exposition when she had to keep explaining at the end. It's like, he's been watching me the whole time. I can't believe it. He lives in the walls. Okay, we've got that. You're already in the wall. 
we we already know we already saw him steal everything we, we we can tie it all together you don't need to tell us at this point i just felt the third act um as i said i don't i i thought the first two acts had a lot going for it and the third act was just um treated everyone like they were idiots <laughs> Well, shit. Uh, well, it's still a better third act than we got in, in The Devil Inside because they forgot to actually film that. It <laughs> ended at the end of the second Well, they might have ran out of money. Yeah, or film. All right, let's go to the ranks and you rank. Are you going to rank your five creepiest children? I am. I'm going to have to do it off the top of my head because I left my little But I think I can pretty pretty much still pull it off. Okay. Um, you going to do it in any order? No, are they hot, like all children? Uh, they're kind of hot. I mean, that came out wrong. I meant creepy children. <laughs> <laughs> creepy children usually grow up to be hot, and cute kids usually grow up to be weird looking. I'm, I'm doing a different rank, so go on. Okay, so, so we've got them. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to, uh, instead of just speaking of creepy, I, I, I'm going to talk about the ones that I had a visceral creepiness feeling in response to. So, so they're not necessarily the scariest in concept, but the ones that I physically you know, was intimidated by. And uh, the next one I would mention, is, and this is going back to the late 80s, um, Gage in Pet Symmetry. Here's a fun fact. One of Lauren Cohen's favorite films is Pet Cemetery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of my, I think, one of the scariest movies to me. The yeah, Japanese that, version. That really is in the, in, in the top of my horror. You talking about R- Ringu? I actually, I think the ring scares me more than Ringu does, just because I think Vodinsky is a stronger director. Um, but uh, Ringu, I like the mythology behind it better. The explanation of where she came from made more sense, and it's kind of like Craftsman. But um, the ring scares me. Ringu. I think I, I think it's. I kind of agree. I think it's a Japanese version of The Grudge that scares me more, and the American version of The Ring might be a little bit more polished. Well, the American version of The Grudge had, what, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar? Anyways. It's hugely laughable. She's uh, basically Laura Cohen Cohen in that movie. Um, And then after that, uh, let's see... uh, did you ha- happen to see The Devil Comes Out 
uh, a recent film from about a year ago by the director. It's where they uh, find out the devil's gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it all makes sense. Now. I'm uh, fierce. It's one where the, the two kids uh, go into a cave and something. No, I, I haven't. I haven't even heard of it. Oh really? Oh shit! I'm trying to think of, of the, the films that were also about the same director. And you said it was an American film, you said, or no? No, no, I think it's uh, Mexican, actually. Okay. Um, uh, 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 kind of sounds uh, Spanish uh, or something. Look up on it and follow up with you later. The, the director did a uh, uh, recent werewolf movie called Late Phases. Mm -hmm. and he did I know that film. one. He did, he did this really odd film called like, Tax Luxuria or something like that. There's this animated devil walking around in the background of a family just causing chaos. Uh, very surreal stuff, but, but that movie, that, those two characters uh, really got to me. And, and then the, the, the last one is probably going to be Isaac from Children of the Corn. What a creepy little fucker. Malachi? No, not Malachi. Malachi was the redhead. Isaac was the one with the, the black hat that was like the little creature. Kid. Okay, yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the mini Amish. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Is <laughs> he, he, just, he, he looks like he's out of All right. Well, I'm gonna. I that's pretty good. There's a lot of uh, of creepy things out there. I'm gonna rank rank my top five boys. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'm gonna start. Uh, I'm gonna start at five as the weakest of the boys, and go start with one, the strongest of the boys. Number five is Boy George. Not so bad. I mean, you're such a fucking cheater. Okay. You don't. Yeah, I mean, you don't really want to hurt him. You don't really want to make him cry. But he does. He did have some stuff to, especially nowadays. He's pretty funny. He, he has he has a good a uh, he has a good um, he has a good opinion on life now. I've seen him on some of the late night shows. Number four, Chef Boyardee. Uh, not entirely healthy, but cheap, and a good a good kid snack. Number three, Big Boy from Outcast. I think Big Boy was actually in some ways more talented than Andre 3000. Um, but Andre 3000 had the charisma. Big Boy never could really make it as a solo star, even though I think his solo record was better. Outcast is one of those things that's definitely stronger as a whole than um, their last big album was basically uh, two, two solo albums back to back. And. And uh, and uh, Andre 3000 had the hits, but I, I, I again I think on uh, Big Boy had the, had the had the stronger overall album. Number number two, Tommy Boy. Um, much like a lot of things, I wonder what could have been. Uh, Chris Farley, like a lot of comedians, was very in touch with his dark side. He was going to go on to play Fatty Arbuckle or something like that in in like a documentary and. Uh, I thought was tremendously funny in a obvious way, but obviously had charisma. Some of my favorite SNL skits involve Chris Farley, like the one with Patrick Swayze and the Chippendales. And yeah, I was actually just having a conversation with a friend talking about like sometimes I'll go back and I'll watch something about the '50s or '40s or '30s or even the '60s, and they talk about stars that were really big in the day. But we don't know who they are because we know we only know now we know the big stars. We know like the top three, the top ten. We don't know like the the B level stars. And I'm thinking, okay, who's going to be the big level, the B level? Like in 30 years, who are the people that no one's going to know? And I was thinking maybe like David Spade. If anyone knows David Spade, it's going to be because of Chris Farley. Yeah, 
And number one, I didn't really have a great one. I went with Boy, the 1980 album, the debut album from U2. Uh, not their greatest album, but showing, and I'm not a big U2 fan, but showing what was to come. It was a promising album of a, of a young Irish band coming out fighting. And it did have maybe one hit on it, but, uh, and, and they hadn't quite got their sound, but, but still a, a debut album for a band that's still around kicking today. Okay, well, well in, in response to those, I, I do want to say it doesn't matter if you want to make Boy George cry or not, because he is going to play at the crying game, so that, that's just <laughs> something you're going to have to deal with. Um, but again, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'm totally taking at, you, know, you, you shot out left field there with, with your list not being the same list. It's a different list. What's that? Yeah, it's a different list, yeah. Uh, I'm down. That that was fun, and I'm I'm desperately working for responses to you too. That I had nothing. Oh man, uh, yeah. Um, okay, well. You know, I could I could have went with the uh, five creepiest dolls, but I think five creepiest children is better. Um, well, it, I I actually thought about that after you mentioned we were doing kids, and I, I was like, well, we should be doing dolls based on what this movie is, but I, I would be hard pressed up with more than five movies with creepy dolls, and most of those are shit movies. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure any of them are good other than Poltergeist with the uh, doll of the plant. See, I, I, I was weird when I was in high school. I mean, there's a couple things that kind of creep me out, and there's like clowns, and there's dolls, and the things like that, and 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 one of the things that kind of freaks me, or you know, creeps me out a little bit, are the old. Um, and you can even go see them a lot of places still in antique shops and stuff. Just even in this, maybe not this century, but you can see dolls from 50, 60 years ago that are damn creepy, and they're not supposed to be. It's just, it's just weird. And and I, uh, I had a friend's house I used to stay at, and they had a Santa Claus, a little porcelain Santa Claus that they would hang in the ceiling that just had the most like to me the most malicious grin on his face and um i I mean i was never like that scared because i'm pretty sure i could destroy porcelain pretty easy but it's still pretty creepy well okay now 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 we're getting into some real stuff um yeah for for some classic creepy dolls in in real life Reggie ann and andy fucked with me as a kid They, they did not look right i wasn't down and in fact, uh, what's that shitty movie that's based off of The Conjuring about the doll? Oh, a- Annabelle? Yeah, Annabelle. If you actually look at the... Um, the yeah, movie, it was it was a Raggedy Ann doll. Exactly, and so they had to creep it up more. But even more creepy than Raggedy Ann and Andy was those fucking sock monkey dolls. <laughs> that shit fucked with my head when I was a kid, and the fact they had red butts even more fucking <laughs> I, I didn't know what was going on. I was too young to understand sexuality or anything, or the fact that monkeys or baboons have big giant glands that make it going. But I knew it wasn't <laughs> right. And, and to this day, when I see a sock monkey, I, I just shudder a little bit. All right, I'm going to roll into the last call, which you won't hear, but uh, give us a break here for about five seconds while this plays. Last call. Glass. All I see is a man who's fading fast. 
Last call. So is there anything you want to tell people? Any final words before we round out our episode 78? Next week, we're going to be talking about People versus O.J. Simpson, the FX movie. Oh, well, well, the first thing I'll say is it's very unlikely I will see that as I don't uh, have cable. Um, so I will have to listen to your synopsis on that. Um, but, but I hope that I can uh, jump in with you again here pretty soon. I, I still have some projects I, I'm sort of working on, but I, I'm, I'm looking at moving into my, my fifth place in Portland mm-hmm. since moving here 17 months ago. It's been a while. My plate's a little full, full but... Things are coming, and uh, I, I'm so stoked you got me back on here again, and uh, you know I listen, and uh, maybe I'll actually go effort in and shoot you a text or an email and give you some commentary. Yeah, I just wish our, our uh, audio connection would have been slightly better today, because I was on fire. No, I'm just kidding. I just, I just know how... Um, you know, when I was in China, I, I would watch some bootleg DVDs quite a bit, and I'm sure you've watched a, a bootleg DVD now and again in your day. And it's so weird how a quality, and a visual and audio quality of something will psychologically take you out of it. I mean, I've seen movies that I just thought were the shittiest movies ever, and then I watched them again later, and it's like, this movie isn't that bad. Just, I guess, not being able to see it made me not like it the first time. Uh, all right my man well i I hope to talk to you again soon and maybe we can uh, just get into some broad conversation about what's going on out there because we have the Oscars right around the corner yeah that's what i i I need to dig into some revenant conversation yeah my i'm hoping next week uh besides talking about oj versus the people or people versus oj it should be oj versus the people that'd be a great horror movie um Uh, well, it, it already was. It was just specific people, <laughs> and they lost. But uh, I, I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I already prefaced it that at the beginning of this episode that I would like to uh, talk a little bit about the awards race and and just uh, what's going on and and, and racism <laughs> and things. Oh, but the awards racism. Yeah. Right, well, yeah. If you're gonna do an episode on that, you only have a little bit of time, but I'd love to be part of it. Yeah, uh, and we definitely have to get get heathen on that because if there's one thing heathen likes, or one thing heathen's respected on, it's her um, social views on um, racial uh, equality. Uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll be ready for the chat. <laughs> so anyway, I don't have too much else to say. I've already said next week we're trying to do the People versus O.J. Simpson. We do have a uh, record line, 775-996-3986. You can hit us. You can try to get us on the Skypey line, like uh, Mike tried to get us on, which is uh, po- uh, Podcast at, no, what is it? <laughs> I think it's P- I never use the Skype. PPS Podcast. I know the Twitter is at Potable Pictures. Gmail is potablepictureshow at gmail.com. And I can't remember anything else. So I'm going to disconnect the call here with you, Mike. And until next week, everybody keep it wet. All right. Keep it wet, everybody.
you want to see an Easter egg, go to the goddamn website.